Well, we won't beat around the bush. We're, um, we are going to advocate for the idea of the two seed lines. And um, Pastor asked us to kind of give an explanation of why this is such a troublesome subject, and it is. I've, I've personally struggled with this with my, uh, my wife's side of the family. Not necessarily all of them, but there are a few in particular. And the discussion is so passionate on their side. Anger. I'm, I'm trying to sugarcoat it, but I shouldn't. They get angry. You can't even have a discussion beyond 10 or 15 minutes. And I don't even get a chance to say anything because they get so angry and so worked up. So to answer the question, why is this being abandoned every day more and more? And what is the motivation behind it? It's something emotional. It doesn't set right with the, the society that we live in. Seth, you tell me if I'm wrong, but even churches, and, and today it's happening more and more, but churches are impacted by society. Oh, absolutely. And society is creeping in, and I, it's, it's creeping into the Israel movement. So well, we're, we're, we're not anything to brag about as far as mainstream churches go. We're, we're just as bad as they are. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's being it's done deliberately in a lot of cases. Yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, the, there's a deliberate stream of thought that you, you, and they don't put it in these terms, but what they're saying is you've got to become more like the world to win the world. Well, if, the, if you become more like the world, and that's what draws people into your church, then if you, if you actually did try to, well, let's change and go back to the way we were, well, you go run them right back out the same door they came That's in. Right. Because they didn't come in for that. They came in because, well, this is, this is fun. I want to come do this. And without question, at least the mainstream Christian church worships what quite possibly is the, the seed of Satan. Absolutely. They worship them today. So for you, I'm, in fact, I was, I've been called by my wife's, other side of the family, having a demon because I thought that I was Israel and not somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that alone takes them down that road. But inside our movement, inside the, the Israel believers, um, it's very strong too. In fact, uh, was it Passover? We yes. did, the, 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 uh, we, we did a, a thing on the no devil doctrine. And the book that we built our, our case out of, that's where they went you could see right off the bat that the motive behind that, I, I think, and maybe there was lots of others, but there was clearly at least this one motive. I have to come up with a doctrine that says Satan is just a myth and a dream because that's the only way that I can undo the two seeds. So before we even get started, that in and of itself is evidence that there's something about this concept that is hard to fight so rather than fight it with a, a book of some sort to undo these, this thinking, they say, well, here's what I want to do. I want to write an entire doctrine about Satan not even being real. And then it just undoes itself. And then uh, they also did away with angels as well, because all we have to do is I'm sure we're going to today go to Genesis chapter six, and we will see that you're not committing intellectual suicide by accepting the concept that somehow the angelic beings can procreate with human beings, mm -hmm. that it's there in scripture. So what do they do there? Oh, well, not only can we have a Satan, but now we've got to get rid of angels. They're all messengers in flesh and blood. And sometimes they are, but that's, that's not what scripture teaches in its totality. 
So I don't know if you have any more to add on that particular why it is, is so resisted. Well, another reason. It is emotional. I think it is emotional. I also think it's, it's fed by this. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what causes it. Uh, I, my best guess is that in the world of which we live, where we can almost instantaneously travel, uh, you know, the, the old book, Around the World in 80 Days. Well, we could get around the world probably in 80 minutes now if we, once we got up on the aircraft and went. Uh, the, 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 a world that's tied together like this, pe people almost get so emotionally invested in, well, it's what they call the, the, the one world, one worldism, the one world idea. Well, we're, <laughs> we're really all the same. And the problem is the Bible doesn't teach that. No. We're really not all the same. Science doesn't teach si that. Well, science does if they're honest. If they're honest, yeah. Uh, they, it's, of course, been suppressed, but it, it just simply, that's not a, that isn't a reality. And so I think that, that, that this is feeding a lot of uh, this idea of the, that, that Jesus Christ somehow came, as we already touched on, you know, as a, the, the seed of David. He had to come through the specific line to this specific nation. And then somehow, through some unexplained process, the kinsman redeemer of his people becomes the kinsman redeemer of every creature on the, on our, in our world that can speak. That's right. And it, it just simply, if you examine it unemotionally, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what we're going to do today. It's, it's, I don't have an emotional attachment to that. Now, I know some who do. <laughs> and that's okay. We're all wired. I do not have an emotional attachment to this. I, w I am perfectly happy if God didn't do have a, a, two, a two seed line. I'd be happy with that. Just the, fine. the world might be a better place. But, uh, and so when I, when I came at this subject as, a, as an individual adult, um, I came at it from that perspective is I just wanted to know the truth. And I've, I'd heard, I've been some pressure from the other side. Mm -hmm. Come on, accept this, accept this. You know, what about this? What about that? And it's not that they didn't have a case. I don't want to come off and just say they're all, oh, they're a bunch of idiots. But I think their case was weak and they filled in the blanks with passion. Uh, it's very emotional. Yeah. And so we're going to try our best not to fill in the blanks today with passion. We just want to fill in the blank with scripture and, and see where that takes us. Amen. So where do we want to start? Well, I guess the old saying, the best place to begin is at the beginning. Okay. Well, I like to start my books at the end. <laughs> Well, we don't, we don't want to. That's jump. why I can read so many books. Cause I go to the end and say, like, oh, I don't need to read the rest of it. I've got it. <laughs> well, I think probably one of the, the key verses that we're going to look at ought to be well known to you is Genesis 3.15. All right, let's do it. Uh, the, the, the preceding 14 verses have told us a, a story of what, of an event that occurred. And I'll admit there's a lot of subtle language in the, these verses, but Genesis... There's symbolism in there. Symbolism, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, Genesis 3.15 says, and I want you to, this, this might be a little grammar lesson, I think, a good place to start. And I will put enmity between thee. Now, he's speaking to... Uh, the, the previous verse tells us the thee, he's speaking to this creature called the serpent that showed up in the first verse of this chapter. I will put enmity between thee, that is you, the serpent, and the woman, and between thy seed. Now, again, let's use a little grammar. <clears throat> the enmity is between thee, the serpent, and thy seed. So God's speaking to the serpent. So he says, I'm going to put enmity between you 
and your seed, and between this woman and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, the, I think it's fairly obvious, or it should be, grammatically, the claim is being made right here, that this serpent has a seed. Now, before we go any further, I just, we shouldn't have to do this, but just to make sure, and this does go online, so there may. We're not going to have a, a discussion about Satan today. Mm -hmm. But the, it is, they don't use the word Satan or devil there, so let's just make sure we're all on the same page. So let me read Revelation chapter 20, yes. um, verse 2. And he laid, laid hold on the dragon, there's one name, that old serpent, that's who, the name we're using here at this moment, which is the devil, there's another name, and Satan. So I just want to make sure that everyone understands that serpent here is Satan. It's not some other angel or mm -hmm. some other being or a snake. <laughs> uh, well, I think it's interesting how the Bible is bookended with the, those two verses. Amen. Right here, very near the beginning. Absolutely. You know, the, Genesis 1 and 2 is almost like some preliminaries. And then after Revelation 20, it's some... The uh, end. Yes, it's, it's an ending. A redo. It, it's bookended with this. Now, again, just, just back to the, the grammatical issue here. We've got this serpent who uh, Revelation confirms for us is Satan. And God is saying that he's going to place this enmity between Satan and this woman and between his seed and her seed. Now, the claims being made right here that this serpent has a seed. Now, the, the, the churches have tried to dance all around this. Mm -hmm and tried to uh, make it almost like self-referential that, that the seed of the serpent is the serpent himself, that God's going to put enmity between Satan and the seed of the woman, who ultimately is Jesus Christ. But the, the, I don't see grammatically how you can get around the, the clear statement of this passage. It's, that part is rather simple. And I'll add something to that as far as on top of the, you're absolutely right on the, the grammar aspect of it. But we have here three punishments that are going to be listed for three particular individuals. Mm -hmm. One is the serpent, Satan. One is the woman and one is Adam. When we read this verse, we, it's an, I think it's important that we read it with the understanding that this is, is something that God is doing to Satan to cause him harm. Mm -hmm. So if we're talking about a spiritual seed, let's, let's say, use me as an example, that I have spiritual children out there that I don't even know, and God comes up and says, you know, all these little potential orphans that you may or may not have that you'll never know and see, I'm going to do something bad to them. Wow, that, that, okay, God, that hurt. <laughs> Ouch. But to have something to say my son and my daughters right here now, mm-hmm, yeah, that hurts. So I don't see spiritual seed fitting as really a punishment. Okay, I can see that separated out from these particular verses, set off somewhere else and say, okay, I, let me give you a parable perhaps. You right. know, let me give you a potential story about some, some, something good's going to happen and something bad's going to happen. They're going to fight each other and eventually the good's going to win. But this, this is a punishment. Yeah, yes. So it has to, it, it carries a little more weight than I think spiritualizing it will allow it to have, if that makes any sense. Well, sure. And, and uh, I mean, again, another point, if one side of the equation is spiritualized, the, the other side's got to be. 
So if, if, if the seed of this, of this serpent here that's, that's mentioned, is if that's spiritual, well then the seed of the woman has to be spiritual too. That would be the logical conclusion. That would be the, that's the only way it's got to, you've got to pick one. It can't be say, well, I believe in a literal Jesus and a, the literal, the, the descendants of Eve and there was a literal just line of descent all the way to Jesus Christ. But this other thing is something over here in the ether mm -hmm. that is just spiritual and not really all that important. Uh, they're just, I don't think the text will allow us to do that logically. And even the mainstream Christians camp out on this perfect, literal sea line to Jesus. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's the gospel to them, and, and rightfully so. But then when you jump down and start talking about Satan, and the reason why this, is, this subject is so important is when you read the Gospels, and we're, we're going to get in there a little bit, this pops up. But if you don't have this understanding, it all gets dismissed mm -hmm. as spiritualization mm -hmm. of the Gentiles. That's really what, it, what, what happens is it just gets fluffed away and you don't really understand what, you, what you're reading. But when you, if, if you can get this down and you read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus addresses this. And, and it pops up all over the place. And, it, and it's a big part of the relationship of the Pharisees that yeah, Jesus has. And, and hopefully we're going to be able to show that today. But not all Pharisees were the same. No. But there was obviously some, something in the Pharisees that Jesus really despised. And, and we'll get to that here later. Also, before we um, move forward a little bit, I do want to build this case to make sure because a lot of times the thing that comes at you is going, Nathan, are you really saying that an angel... At having babies here on earth. So if we go to Genesis chapter 6, mm -hmm. I believe that's, that's worth found for time's sake, we won't read through it all. But we have a situation where it says that the, uh, the, the sons of, of God, mm -hmm. angels, had children with the daughters of men. Now there's, there is an effort to undo the, the literal understanding of that. But if we go to Enoch, it, it, it lays it out as clear as can be. I, I meant to bring it, but I, we don't need it because Enoch's not scripture. I'm not trying to say that at all. But Enoch does give the picture that, is, that can be seen in scripture, but it really clears it up. And uh, Jude mentions um, Enoch yes. writings. Um, I believe it's Enoch 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 9. It does give it and we'll see that it's right in that same general area of the book of Enoch that we see this. And without question, it is procreation of, between angels and man. So this is, this, what's happening here is not something unique this never to itself. This never happened any other time, it, yes. it's, it's, it's a biblical well, principle. Well, let me, without wasting too much time, in, in Genesis 6, we, we would run into the same problem. If a person wishes to deny that that's what it's saying, I, I know many, many of the classical Protestant commentators and, and right on up to the present day like to say that the sons of God are good men and the daughters of men are bad women. I mean, I, I've heard that mm -hmm. explanation. Well, the problem comes in in verse, uh, verse 4 of chapter 6. Where we, I, I, let me just read this. There were giants in the earth in those days and also after that. When the sons of God, now put in your mind that that's good men, 
came in unto the daughters of men, that's bad women, and they bare children to them, the same, that is, those children, became mighty men which were of old men of renown. Now, a person, that, if you're thinking logically, well, wh why would the son of a good godly man and a bad ungodly woman automatically have some special ability to become a mighty man? That, that's very peculiar. Mm -hmm. I mean, so it's obviously got to be talking about some, there's something funny going on here at the genetic level. And we've discussed this that before, simple. that it's a very easy case to build. Again, there are some that won't accept it, but building a case that the sons of God in the Old Testament are clearly talking right. about angelic, angelic beings. beings. And there again, only when you become emotionally attached to the idea that that can't be true, all of a sudden it's it, it, hard to see it in Scripture. Mm -hmm. but, it, but we don't have time to build that case today. True. Well, anyway, moving along then. What's, what, okay, well, yeah. Um, so I, I would like to go to, to Genesis or to Matthew, actually. If we could um, turn to Matthew chapter 3 and uh, get a little view here. Now, John the Baptist and uh, Jesus seem to have a, a similar understanding of this. Okay, so I'm in, I'm in Matthew chapter 3. We'll start at verse number 7. Mm -hmm. So John the Baptist is doing his, his baptism. Uh, baptizing. I believe this, this is the time when Jesus actually eventually rises on the scene. And so he, he get, gets this crowd, and as the crowd grows, a certain group of people show up. And it says here in verse 7, But when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and I'm, I want to just kind of bring this out before we move on, it's going to be these guys every single time mm -hmm. the language that we're going to see shows up. So there's, there, there's, there's something about them that is not like the soldiers. There's something about them that's not like other bad people. Mm -hmm. The publicans or the, even, you know, the, the, the prostitutes, they're not, they're in a different category. They're not in a different category. But, okay, so he sees the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism. He said unto them, O generation of vipers. Now we have that, that word, viper. We just talked about the serpent. Now, we can spiritualize that, and I understand doing so. It's, maybe it's figurative language, but we're, I, hopefully we're going to see that this, this word keeps showing up again and again. He's calling them something special. It said, Who hath warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruit, meat for repentance. Now, before we move on, that reminds me of something that I, I've read back here in Genesis. And, and you tell me if I'm stretching this, because I don't want to do that. I want to lay out here just true, real truth. But in Genesis chapter 4, verse number, uh, what's day 5? But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. This is God. God did not respect the offering that Cain gave. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And then the Lord said to Cain, now we just read over here, bring forth therefore fruit, meat for repentance. And then God tells Cain back here, he says, Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. Now, and, and doesn't that kind of seem like the same thrust? General principle. There's something about these, these people. Because John the Baptist and Jesus don't say this to anyone else. No. It's just the, the, this particular group of people that they, they need, they have to have something 
that they obviously don't. And let me see if there's any more. Okay, it says, uh, and you think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham and our fathers, and I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. I don't have a good, I have a guess, but I don't have a full understanding what the stone, what's being raised up out of the stones. I'm guessing it may be along the lines that God can raise his people up out of the lowest of the ground, mm-hmm. but that's not what commentaries say, so I don't know for sure. But this part here where it says that they have a seed of Abraham, and I think that we're going to have to kind of shift into that, that particular gear. This, this, this seed of Satan eventually ends up into the Abrahamic seed line. Absolutely. And that's what we're going to see. So this, this shouldn't surprise anyone that if, if what we're seeing here is connected to Genesis 3.15 and, and that one of those seed lines, that now all of a sudden we got Abraham. And that's really the dangerous part about this particular doctrine in the world today is how they're connected to God's people. Uh, yes. Well, th- on that note, and I'm glad you went there because uh, over in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, I think there's another, there's a very interesting, this is why you have to read the Bible so carefully. You know, you can read something for decades and breeze over it, and one day it's like, you're, it's almost like I never saw that before. In John chapter 8, Jesus is having quite a row with the Jews in, in Jerusalem. He's near the Mount of Olives while this is going on. And in Verse, uh, well, verse 32, this is pretty famous. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then they answered him, and the the who's talking, he said to, it says in verse 31, those Jews which believed on him. So there's this group of people who are, it says here on some level that they're believing Jesus, they're curious about this. But they answered him and said, we be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou ye shall be made free? Now, interestingly enough, back in the Old Testament, <laughs> in uh, Leviticus chapter 25, verse 42, among other places, I'm just going to read this one in the interest of time, uh, God himself is saying, uh, they are my servants which I brought forth out of the land of Egypt, therefore they shall not be sold as bondsmen. So, God himself is saying that, these pe- that his people were slaves in bondage, brought out of the land of Egypt. Just and, and to interrupt you, you know how many, in fact, I, I'm tempted to build a lesson on this particular point. Know how many times, I don't, so maybe you do. How many times God used the phrase, I am the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. I am the God the that brought, brought you out of the house of bondage. Over and over mm-hmm. and over, he kept reminding them. I'm, uh, there's significance to that yeah, reminder. Absolutely. But there is, there is no way that you could be a true Israelite and not have some connection to that bondage. And to understand, understand it. being in bondage. That's my and opinion. yet these people say to Jesus, we were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou you shall be made free? Now, a, man, a person might say, well, they mean they themselves individually right then in their lifetime had never been in bondage. I suppose you could make that objection. But that's not the way the ancient people thought. They thought about themselves as a lineage stretching all the way back to 
to the beginning and, and their, their children. It was all of, that's how they thought of themselves. That's how God, like you just brought up, taught them to think of themselves. Mm-hmm. And yet these people are saying we were never in bondage. So are they telling the truth or are they lying? Uh, that, that's something that, um, it, that ought to be a thing we ought to think about. That There are persons who in historical circumstances came into the people of God through various means that were not in bondage to any man. It's just something to think about. All right, yeah. All right, well, uh, you want to go back to Matthew? Yes, you got some more no, to go no, there, John? Let's, let's okay. continue on in Matthew. All right, so what, this uh, next verse here in verse 10, um, and now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees, therefore every tree which bringeth forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Now that also reminds me of another story found in, in Matthew chapter 13. Many of us are familiar with that. Um, let's turn there real quick. I'm one hand handicapped with these glasses in it. All right, Matthew chapter 13. Let's start, we'll just start verse number 24 real quick. And another parable put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man which sowed good seed in the field. But when men slept, his enemies came and sowed tares among the wheat, and they went their way. Now, let's, for time's sake, let's skip down to uh, verse number 30. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares, and bind them, bundle them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Over here, we've got an ax and a tree. Mm -hmm. Over here, we've got tares and bundles, Mm -hmm. but it's the same principle. We're going to... It's going to be a group of people that we're going to chop down, and it, I don't know what the fire symbolizes. And then just for the sake, make sure. Well, let me throw one little thing out there about that. You know, that, that probably doesn't grab some of the significance to us about wheat and tares. And may, maybe somebody who's a, a grain farmer might know about this. That plant that grows that Jesus was talking about, they'd have been highly familiar with that. That thing grows up in wheat, and until the wheat ripens, you can't tell the difference. Mm-hmm. It looks just like it. And then when it opens up, it's, it, it, it's nothing. It, it, it's a, a weed. Right. And until it's fruit, until it's, it's shown. It, because, he's, because he goes on to say about when, when he used the phrase, let both grow together until the harvest. And I will say to the reapers, gather ye first the tares and bind them. And he goes on to explain what you may be going into over here a few verses later. This parable if I'm not mistaken, is the only parable that Jesus explains in great detail to the disciples. The, mm-hmm. the other parables, the men are expected to get the analogy. But in this particular one, Jesus gives the analogy. Which is, this, we're, we're mm-hmm. going to have some language that lines up with what we started this whole thing out mm-hmm. with. It says, uh, He that soweth the good seed is Jesus. The field is the world. The good seed of the children of the kingdom, Israel. Mm-hmm. But the tares are the children of the wicked one, or the children of the serpent, or the children of Satan, or, dare I say, vipers. The vipers. Well, he says in the I, next I, verse, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. Exactly. Exactly. Now, let, let, me, let me say this on that subject. 
again, if you, if you over-spiritualize, I want to say, well, I can't deal with this. I'm going to spiritualize it. Well, we have a problem then that we know the Scripture tells us that all are fallen. All the children of Adam are fallen and, need, and, and would have to be redeemed. Does a tear ever become wheat or vice versa? See, that's the problem. It would set up the, it would set up the situation where if, if the, the, the entire field is full of tares and God's going along changing tares into wheat. But that's not what this says. God said there's a, there's a field with wheat in it and there's a field with, and, and the same field's also got tares in it. And wheat is always wheat and tares are always tares. They don't, they don't switch position. That's not possible. And that would absolutely destroy the value of the analogy, if that was what it was saying. Well, let me confirm, let me confirm what you just said. In Matthew chapter 23, we'll jump in at verse number 31. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves, and ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. And by the way, generation there does not mean timeline. It, uh, we could, I think, reasonably change that out with ye race of vipers, you people of vipers. Mm -hmm. um, how can ye escape the damnation? It seems when it's the same people, by the way. Mm -hmm. Okay, we would go back a few verses. We'd see we're right, it's the same people, same group of people. There doesn't seem to be option for salvation. The wording that Jesus and John the Baptist are using when they use this word viper, the people that they're addressing, is not the same language that they use when the woman at the well. Mm -hmm. It's not the same language as the adulterous woman. Go and sin no more. I, who am, I am not here to judge you. Um, it's not the same language that he used with Nicodemus. When Nicodemus came to him, he didn't say, which by the way is a Pharisee. Absolutely. So there, there is a division of within the Pharisees. It, it's not, that tells us it's not the religious sect. It's these particular people. The mm -hmm. good Pharisees are not bothering Jesus on the streets. They're the ones sneaking behind like Nicodemus going, hmm, I'm going to catch him after dark. These are the, th these people, these Pharisees are right up in the, in the battlefront. They're, they're stirring mm -hmm. up trouble. There seems to be something different about that. But he, he's, he's not telling, he's not going, oh, you generation of vipers. Whosoever will um, believe in me shall be right. saved. That's not being brought. It's not saying, go and sin no more. It's saying, you're going to burn. You're going to go to hell. And I know those harsh words. And so I don't want to say that with passion and excitement. But that, I, I, that is what's being said. And then in these groups, in these verses, we can go down to 35. And it says, upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth. Now, I recognize that some, some God's people were involved in the shedding of this particular line of, of prophets and people. But I think we can logically conclude that the things that were happening behind the scenes may have been of the same people mm -hmm. of that he's calling vipers. Mm -hmm. there's, there's the workers behind the scene. And it starts with the righteous blood of Abel. Of Abel, yes, sir. Isn't that interesting? It takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden when <laughs> these vipers were held responsible for the death mm -hmm. of death. And we all know who that was. 
Absolutely. And I have one more um, here real quick just to get it out of the way. Matthew chapter 12, verse uh, uh, 34. Oh, you generation of vipers. I just, let me eliminate all my vipers and then we can move on to bigger and better things. Oh, you generation of vipers. How can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. O oh, good man, out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. Now, when they spiritualize that, that's, you know, they go down some different roads. But again, it just seems to me that this is different language than he's telling other sinners. He's not telling the prostitute, oh, you're a prostitute because your heart is wicked. Telling the prostitute, get cleaned up, Receive me and be saved and, and, and go and sin no stop more. Stop doing what you're doing. But, and again, hey, it's the same people. Okay, we haven't, we haven't shifted gears to new people. Same people. Just seems like they're just not going to get a break. Mm -hmm. And they're also called vipers. Repeatedly. So maybe vipers is random. Um, I have out of the mouth of two or three witnesses that we have three witnesses that the same language... And again, it's his symbolic language, no question about it. So is the serpent in Genesis 3.15, symbolic language. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that God is being kind of consistent with the, the label that he wants to put on this particular group. Group, group yes. Yeah. And it, you, we can certainly see, I think, in the biblical history... And you can see even uh, outside in extra biblical history, the the reality that this group li lives up to the label. Absolutely. Repeatedly. Yeah. But uh, is, is is that all you had on that yeah. particular section? Yeah. All right, well, if you want to shift. Yeah. Well, I, I was just going to go back to John John chapter eight. We're back. Okay. Yeah, because there's this conversation that um, that Jesus is having having with these people is is pretty pretty significant. So you brought out the whole uh, that they don't re they don't they're not resonating their relationship with the seed of Abraham. And we're going to see right here. Jesus is going to is fully going to confirm. Yes, you are the seed of Abraham. We already read in I think I read that there in John the Baptist account when he calls them vipers that he tells them not to lean on their heritage mm -hmm. of being of, of Abraham, not to be alarmed by that there. It comes in. I'm not quite sure now is the time to to deal with that yet. But this. Yeah. Once something's on earth, it's not impossible for it to begin to intermix with, with other, other things, things on the earth. And that's, that's what you're seeing. And I think that's important because it's going to bring us to who we associate the modern group of people, at least 2,000 years ago is worth mm -hmm. uh, modern, the, the, the modern group of people, um, who, who are we going to associate them with? And this isn't going to tell us, but it's going to give us a clue. So let's, let's keep going on here. Um, Oh, type verse 37, I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father. Ye do that which you have seen with your father. Again, I cannot help but notice that the language that's being used isn't go and repent. It seems, it's saying you are what you are. 
Am I wrong in, in seeing that? Um, I know that you are the seed of Abraham, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. It's almost like he's saying, there's nothing I can say and nothing I can do. And remember, God is the one that draws us. He's not going to draw this, this group of people. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, it's not going to be a drawing. They are stuck. And I think that's interesting. Um, reading on, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, if ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me. And a man which hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. If, if we have a second, let's turn over to 1 Thessalonians. I want to show you okay. so something there. 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 3, or chapter 2, verse 14. For ye, brethren, became followers of the church of God, which is in Judea, are in Christ Jesus, so we're seeing here over here in John chapter 8 that there just seems to be a unique group of people that God's not giving the same quorum as he does his people, yet they're, same, they're claiming that they're of the seed mm -hmm. of Abraham. Okay. Um, the Judeans are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, your own brethren. Even as they have... Now, they have, obviously, is not the countrymen. Am I getting this linguistically right? Yeah. We're shifting gears to a different group of people, okay? Both found in Judea, but they're not the countrymen of Judea. But look what they're called, even as they have the, of the Jews. So these are called Jews, but they're not the countrymen of Judea. So they're not Judean mm -hmm. Jews. Am I getting that right? I think so. I think so. Okay. And, uh, and then, of course, we read on who these, what these people did, the whole purpose of this verse. Who both killed, both, that being our people were involved in the death of Jesus. We are not innocent at all. We are responsible for putting our Lord and Savior on the cross. And not just from a sin perspective. We were right there in that that courtyard going crucify him crucify him Absolutely. crucify him but it appears to me we weren't alone there were some others in there that were screaming crucify him crucify him and uh, uh, leading it pushing it and egging it on all right so now let's come back to matthew chapter 8 and see if we can't begin to uh expand our discussion in, in, a, in another direction mm -hmm. and so we get through all that it talks about you seek to kill me. And then we get down. So let's go to 42. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? That's a question. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my words. Another confirmation. These are not like the prostitutes. They're incapable God is writing them off. There's no attempt to save them. And then it reads here. Ye are of your father, the devil. I, mean, I know we do a lot of spiritualizing of scripture, but I cannot help but notice how this language just keeps popping up, taking us Repeatedly. back to that same place every time. 
Genesis 3.15. Your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in well, him. Let me, let me let's stop you right there, and I want you to think about something. That phrase you just read. I, I, and I, I hope I'm not jumping ahead of it. No, go ahead. I'll, yeah, jump he in was, there. He was a murderer from the beginning. Who was that first murderer? Who got murdered in the beginning? We just read it. Abel. And, and who, who was the murderer? Who murdered him? So if, if you're of your father, if this was talking about a line of descent, that up here, what they were talking about was unbelief. Where Christ was saying, I speak what I've seen with my father, you do what you have seen with your father. And then all of a sudden he switches, now we're talking about murder. How did we get from unbelief to murder that quick? Mm -hmm. there's, there's got to be a connection there. Or the, or the words of Jesus are seemingly just coming out of left field. Absolutely. But they're not. There's a connection there. So, so this brings us to, we're now expanding a little bit. Mm -hmm. We now have a, a, a name, I don't I don't want to make too much out of it, but we've got a new, I think, a new name in there, Cain. Cain mm -hmm. is, is now popped up as the murderer of Abel. So to me, this sounds like that Cain and Satan are connected almost interchangeably. The murderer from the beginning. That's mm -hmm. obviously the physical Cain killed Abel, but yet it's also saying your father is the devil. Mm -hmm. So there's something about Cain and Satan that are getting really intimate. And so let me just finish these verses up. I think there was a point in there. I haven't found it yet, but it's, it was in my mind there was supposed <laughs> to be one. And because there is no truth in him, when he speaketh the lie, he speaketh of his own, for he was, is a liar and, is fa and the father of it. And because I tell you this truth, ye believe me not. Which of your um, convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is God heareth God's word, and therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Well, nonetheless, I, maybe the point was, it's just it's some more language that's showing these people are not eligible for repentance. Well, I, I think that's exactly what it's doing, like in that last verse you read. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we're we, we run into the description of um, those who belong to God, who are of God, who have become the children of God. We're talked about those who have received, as many as believed Him, receive power to become the sons of God. So, this structure here is saying that he that is of God heareth God's word. So every person who, who can hear God's word, who can be convicted, who can believe, is in a different category than these who, as he says, therefore, he's drawing a conclusion. You don't hear them because you're not of God. You could preach to them from sun up to sundown, and they're simply not going to hear it. But you can't go down this road that, oh, well, these are good people and bad people, because Jesus preached to the bad people right. and tried to convince them to be good. And some of them... I mean, that's a, that's a paraphrase stretch right there, well, but Nathan, that's is, how we could see it. Let's look at what does Paul say about his own self. He said he was one of the worst of the worst, the, the chiefest of sinners, mm -hmm. persecuting and wasting the church of God, and he became one of the greatest ministers and then preachers and evangelists of all, time. of all human history. Yeah. 
So here's a person that we, we, we've got at least one example, and I'm sure there's others, of a person that was brought out of a very ugly life into a righteous life. And then we've got people here that Jesus is saying that doesn't matter what I say, you can't hear it because you're mm -hmm. not a God. And you, there's got to be a way that the, how are you going to fit those two things together? I don't think that the mainstream church is doing a very good job fitting them together. Yeah, and it's here. They don't want to hear it. Because these next sex of verses, that I, I've brought this up to so many people, and their answer is, well, they don't really have one. And then the ones who try, it's really weak. But what do you do with verses like what we're going to say here? And I'm in I'm Revelation now. Okay. Because I'm sure, I'm sure you have that written down on your list. Revelation, let's start with Revelation chapter 2. And, uh, oh, I... I guess we'll start in verse number eight. And under the angels of the church of Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and alive. I know thy works and thy tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. There's that, that wording again. There he is again. Okay. Um, now, this is to the, to the church of Israel, an Israelite church. Okay, so we, we need to make sure we got that right. But the blasphemies, so obviously these are not just normal good people. <laughs> but Who again, they, they're just doing exactly what Jesus said in uh, John chapter mm -hmm. 8. You can't do anything better because of... Of who you are. You're doing what comes natural. Right. So them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. So we have this, this situation. This is, we're now starting to, to expand it into history. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're now starting to say, okay, we're a long ways away from Genesis 3.15 now. So now we're starting to look at things closer to today than Genesis 3.15. So now it, it, I'm interpreting this, that influence into the church and that this church is allowing this influence. This mm -hmm. is the, the issue that Jesus has with this church is they're allowing this influence into the church and that influence is, is a group of people that are of the synagogue of Satan. But what's unique about them is they're claiming to be Jews, okay? Now, mm -hmm. let's read a second witness before I get out a piece of historical document here. And uh, they weren't the only church that were having this trouble. All right. So we got three, chapter 3, verse 9. We, we see something, the same thing at Philadelphia. Behold, I make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not. So these are not Judeans when they say they're Jews, mm -hmm. but yet they're still carrying that name, Jew. All right, and uh, but do lie, behold, I make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know and have loved them. Now, actually, I, I think we should go one other place before I bring out my piece of historical document here. Okay. Um, but do you have anything to share on that? No, not, a, not in that particular vein. I think you Then I'm, I would well. encourage us to go to Romans chapter 9. All right. Um, let's see here. We're, we're, I think let's just start with, uh, let's start with verse three. For I can, now this is the words of Paul. I wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now I, I have to say, I'm not with Paul. I, this verse right here 
tells me how far below Paul I am. <laughs> this is, he's, if I'm understanding this right, he's saying that he, he would be willing to go to hell to save his people. Golly, I'm so, I, I love you guys, but I'm not willing to do that. <laughs> Maybe someday. Maybe there's still some hope. But this is incredible, that the love that Paul had for his kinsmen is oh, amazing. It is amazing. Okay, and then the next verse. Who are Israelites? Not a question, it's a statement. To whom pertaineth the adoption? Okay, so right there, those, of you, those that want to, you know, fight this adoption. Oh, the whole world is adopted. Well, this is the adoption, and it's Israel. Okay, it's not, not the whole world. And the glory of the covenants and giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Who are the fathers of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came? Who is over all? God bless forever. Amen. All right, so perhaps I didn't need to read all that. Now we're getting into to the subject we're in today. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Now I've heard several different explanations mm. on that. I have handwritten off of the side many years ago when I was looking into this deeply, and it says some descendants of Jacob married into other races and not the seed line will not be... Um, counted as Israel. So I, I think that fits, that, that statement there, that there's going to be people that have some Israelite lineage, but it's not going to be all Israelite lineage. Right. So they may call themselves Israel, but that doesn't mean they're of Israel. And if I'm wrong on that, then you just, you just straighten me up there, Seth. No, and then I have Revelations 3, 9 and 2, 9 written right under that. So that's where we would normally go if I was doing a sermon. Uh, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are ye all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now, this is where we're beginning to get into the explanation of, of Revelations 2.9 and 3.9. Mm -hmm. I think this is going to tell us who those people are. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, we, we see here that just because you have a relationship with Adam, it started out with Israel. It started out with Jacob. Okay, so he addressed Jacob, says that's because you can connect yourself to Jacob, doesn't guarantee you anything. And then he expands it. And that takes us back to all the verses we let, read there in uh, Matthew earlier. Right. And, and he expands it because these people were claiming to have a seed of Abraham. Now it's saying, yeah, well, let's deal with Abraham too. You know, and it says, Nathan, let me just, and I mean, in our modern world, this is, to me, uh, this is a clear illustration. I've used this on people. If, a, if, if, an, if an Arabian Muslim came and said, well, I, I'm, I'm descended from Abraham. Well, he's telling the truth. Right. He is descended from Abraham through Ishmael. Uh, he's not lying about that. So that, that's not the, just saying, well, I, I'm descended from Abraham. That's, we, we need more than that. Well, now we got people saying, well, I'm a seed of Abraham spiritually. I just, <laughs> I, I feel, feel like, like I am. So I got to be, okay, that's, that's fine, all right. All right, so, uh, but who, of all, and you bring up Ishmael, that's not who they're going to address here, but of all, Abraham had a lot of, a lot of seed yeah, out a lot there. Of other, a lot of other sons, too. But what's said here is out of all the seed of Abraham, and that's, mm -hmm. I think it's not by accident that he, expo he expanded, and that, that was a big step. He went from Jacob, and then boom, the family tree got huge. Mm -hmm. And then he says, but only of, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's read on. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, 
These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise is counted for the seed. The seed being Isaac. Yes. We just read that. For this is the word of promise at this time. Will I come and Sarah shall have a son? Well, let, let me pause right because okay. I want to... Because I, I know, and again, I, I've heard this, and I've heard this preached. Immediately, verse 8, a, a modern-minded person or someone who wishes to universalize would say, we'll see right here, the children of the flesh are not the children, but the children of the promise. So again, it's, it's spiritual. Mm -hmm. It's a spiritual promise. Well, then he immediately shifts back. What is, what is the word of promise? He says, this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. Well, a, a woman conceiving and having a son, that, that's pretty... Pretty literal. Literal. <laughs> that's, that's very literal, very physical. That's not really something that happens in the ether. It happens in the physical world. That's right. Okay, yeah. And then uh, verse 10, it says, not... Only this, but Rebecca also. So now he's, he's narrowing down. He, mm -hmm. he opened it all up, and now he's drawing it in. He's bringing it, he's funneling everything down. And now we're at Sarah, says, uh, okay, uh, or Rebecca. Mm -hmm. But when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even by his father Isaac, for the children in the womb, being not yet born, neither having done any good nor evil, that doesn't mean they have sin nature. It just means that they haven't killed anyone or stolen from anyone. They're just babies. They haven't done anything okay, yet. Okay, that's, yeah, that's not a sin nature issue. Um, have done any good or evil that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth God, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. Here he is. And it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Now, and I'm going to read one more verse because I, I like this next verse. I just, I think it's funny actually. It says, what shall we say then? Is there righteousness, unrighteousness with God? God forbid. So after he, he, he says this, I'm just imagining that there was some resistance oh, sure. on what he just said. What? Esau was chosen to be hated? You can't do that. And so Paul's response is, are you saying that God's unrighteous? No, whatever God does is good. Mm -hmm. And we just need to accept it. So let me read out of, out of Josephus here. Give an explanation to the best of my ability to explain what we're seeing here in Romans chapter 9, we have now Esau and Jacob. Mm -hmm. And then we go over to, we just came from Revelations 2.9 and 3.9. We have this group of people called Jews that are not Jews that seem to be just automatically wicked. So let me see where we can come, how we can connect the name. How does someone get the name Jew? It's like saying, how does someone get the name Clark, but you're not from my family, the Clarks? How did that happen? Here's how it happened. I'm in Josephus. Uh, whilst the Idumeans, the that is the descendants of Esau, Edom. were not Jews. Were not Jews. They were not of the descendants of Judah. Mm -hmm. Okay? From the beginning. Okay? He, he tells us that. They were not Jews from the beginning. But Phoenicians and Syrians, but being afterwards subdued by the Jews, they were they lost the war by 
the Israelites, mm -hmm. the Judahites, the Jews, the true Jews, and compelled to be circumcised and to unite unto one nation and be subject to that same law. They were called Jews. They were called Jews, but they were not Jews. So in that, short... That, that event occurred a couple of centuries, I believe it was, before the time of Christ. And when Jesus, when the infant Jesus Christ was on earth, by, it took that long, they completely taken over the country. Yeah. And that's a key to what we maybe see in the modern world today. Herod was one of those people. The, when the last Maccabean Israelite ruler died, that, that Herodian family had taken over the rulership. Herod was one of those people. And as Jesus, we read earlier, as Jesus had just said to the uh, Pharisees about trying, that, that, trying to kill him, well, Herod had been busily trying to do what? Kill him. Trying to kill him. And when he couldn't kill him, he just decided to randomly murder God only knows how many other little babies. And scripture clearly says that Herod was an Edomite. That's the kind of, that's the kind of people that we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Seth. Well, um, I do have one more area I want to discuss before we run completely out of time we have. Okay. And, and, and we could go to Noah's Ark and, just, and bring in the Canaanites and how that happened. Um, and we just don't have time to do that today. Right. But there, there is a point that I want to make, and, and one of the arguments that I have with um, somewhat biblically literate people is uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Mm -hmm. So let me read it. Okay. And, Adam and, and then Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And then she bears another one and he's able. So it when we first read that, it seems pretty clear because Cain does seem to be the pivot point of how the seed line of Satan is transferred into the rest of the world. And, and but that, this, that verse, uh, we, we've discussed this, that verse seems to be the, the hammer that those who would deny this idea want to use to. Right. Well, it says right, well, doesn't it say right there that Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived in the normal way and there's Cain. Okay. Now, I, I, and maybe you're going to give an explanation for this. I have an explanation for this, but I have to be honest with myself that the wording here, if, if we're going to, we're just sitting here talking about taking everything literal, we're going to take it literal. It does seem to read that this, that Adam and Cain are father and son. But I do have a problem with that. And first off, we'll just make it simple. One, if I was to take this one verse out, just this one verse out of scripture, I could not prove that Cain was related to Adam. Just taking this one verse out. Couldn't so, even suggest it. So out of a mouth of two or three witnesses, I could not establish Cain and, and Adam as being related without way. this verse, which I think is interesting. I don't, but the verse is there, so I don't want to do this. So this, this is the road I'm going to go down. This is, the, this is the question that I had to come to grips with, and this is the question where I'll pose to a lot of people that are struggling with this particular doctrine. Okay, first off, even if Cain is not the seed of Satan, that doesn't change that the seed of Satan exists. Okay, 
It, it doesn't change anything. Genesis 3.15 doesn't go away. All the verses we just read out of the New Testament don't go away. The vipers don't go away. The Jews that, say, that aren't Jews that of the synagogue of Satan, that doesn't go away just because we've convinced ourselves Cain is, is an Adamite. But we have an interesting story about Cain that follows right after this. Cain kills Abel. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's remarkable unless you understand the story. Mm -hmm. Not only did God not punish Cain, which is not consistent with Scripture. Or the character of God. No, the character of God. The, so God's so doing something unique. God had said, didn't he tell Cain, his, his blood cries out to me from the ground. And I mean, it's, God is, he, it's almost like he's got him right at the arraignment dock. He says, I know, I know exactly what you did. Don't try to hide it from me. And then continue with the story. Yeah, so Cain, Cain is not, nothing comes against him except he's to be driven out as a, a vagabond, a wanderer. Mm -hmm. And then this is, this, I think this is funny. And then Cain's response is, uh, oh, let's see. Cain's in verse number 13 of chapter 4. Oh, God, my punishment is greater than I can bear. I just killed somebody. But I can't stand that you're going to drive me out of my, my family. Okay. Then God puts a mark upon slain. And then verse number 15 says, The Lord said unto him, Therefore, whoso slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest ye find him, should kill him. So God's saying that if the good people hurt the bad guy, he's going to judge the good people. Why? 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 The only conclusion that I can come to is one of two. One, Cain just really had a good heart. And God was, you know, this, this is, we'll say, a pre-David, David situation. Yeah. All right, you, you made a mistake, but you've got a good heart. Or two, you did your best. Or two, Cain's death stops something. And I, I lean towards the latter. God was not protecting Cain because he was a good old boy. He was protecting Cain because if Cain died, then over in 315, the seed of Satan dies. And there's something interesting about Cain and his genealogy as far as coming back to connecting to Adam. It seems, and I'm pretty sure that I'm 100% correct on this, that when it comes to lineages, when, a, when a, a man that has a lineage is listed in scripture, Cain, bear this, bear that, bear that. If his father also has a lineage, that son will be marked in it. Now, if we read here, we'll find that Cain has a lineage. It goes on, it says, verse 16, and Cain, Cain, well, move on down. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and then it just keeps on going, the lineage of Cain. Okay, we go over here. So, if we're going to be consistent with Scripture, how it is mm -hmm. it's laid out, then when we go to his dad, his father's lineage, 
He should be marked in he there. He should be there. So that's in chapter 5. In the book of the generations of Adam, in the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, male and female, so forth and so on. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness. That's kind of interesting that that phrase is put in there, but I don't want to read too much into it. After his kind, oh, there we go again, huh? Uh, after his image and called his name Seth. Seth. And then it goes on and on and on. It marks Seth as the firstborn. This, that repeats the pattern, I believe, in First Chronicles. And Cain is never mentioned anywhere. Never mentioned again. And, and Adam has a few, he shows up in a few lineages, and Cain never makes it. Mm -hmm. And then over here in uh, chapter 4, again, in verse number 26, uh, well, let's go to 25. And Adam knew his wife again. So over here in verse number 4, I, I think there's a connection here. It, it says that Adam knew his wife. And she conceived. Okay. Now here it goes. Adam knew his wife again. Okay. So it mm -hmm. doesn't seem like there's been a whole lot of knowing going on. Um, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. Seth being listed as the firstborn in Genesis chapter 5. Seth, to him also there was born a son. And he called his name Enos and beget man. Well, um, no. Back in 25 it says, for God said... Said she. For God, she said, hath appointed me another seed, another offspring, instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Now, again, I don't want to read too much into this, but it sounds to me that this replacement, I mean, if you have, and they had a lot of children, it says. It didn't tell us how many, or maybe it does, but they had, well, you know, it just I don't says think, sons, and uh, sons and daughters. When you have lots of sons and daughters, you don't see the next, if someone dies, you don't see the next one as a replacement. You just see it as added on. So, and again, I don't want to read too much into it, but it seems to me that Abel held a position that was unique that Seth replaced. Well, it's, which I'm, exactly, I'm going to say is the firstborn position. That's exactly what it says, because if we go back over here in chapter 4, uh, 1 and 2, we've got... Uh, in chapter uh, verse one, like you already said, she bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. So it seems like Cain comes first. But over here, she says, God hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel. She was mourning the death of Abel. And like he was the first real seed, not Cain, because whom Cain slew. There's something very unique going on, and I, I can't find anywhere else in Scripture anything even approaching it about those two individuals. Mm -hmm. that, that, that Cain is in a unique situation, that the Bible really doesn't speak anything about, uh, about any other person in any other lineage being in this category. And just, and, and I, are you about done? Just about. Okay, so I, I want to bring out one more little point. I'm not sure that it's relevant, but it's right there in these verses. So over here, when God protects Cain, this really bizarre situation, mm -hmm. sevenfold, his son, Lamech, um, where is, see if I can find this. He, he had a unique, uh, under, I'm, I'm not sure I understand what that sevenfold would look like, because I mean, if you kill um, Cain, what, what would be sevenfold of killing Cain? Does that mean kill you and then you're seven of your offspring? Of your I don't really know. Um, but Lamech seemed to have an understanding. And uh, he, made, uh, 
here at verse number uh, 24, 24 it says, If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. So he felt like, maybe I've got this wrong, but he felt like that was, that, that was past. He, I th here's what I think. I think Lamech recognized that there was a protection upon his line. Mm -hmm. Period. And he says that, yeah, well, um, I can abuse this. I mean, to do evil. my dad didn't do much with it. You know, he, he should have gone out and tried to conquer everything. Mm -hmm. And he was protected. Lamech's come along and says, listen, I'm going to use this. And I'm going to show you that it, it's bigger than you guys realize. But I, I might be reading into that a little bit. So that's all I've got. If you've got something well, more to finish out with. Well, I just wanted to touch, with. and this might just be some minor points, and it's, but it's things to think about. You know, when, when the Israelites came into the Promised Land, uh, and a lot of modern people really, really struggle with the commands that were given to those people to wipe everything out. Uh, God, you know, and, and he gave specific commands in other cases to accept, to surrender, to deal, you know, fairly with a, an opponent. Not to, you know, you don't just go around destroying everything. But he gave very specific cases. I want specific things destroyed. Totally and completely. Of course they didn't do it, and, and here we are. But there's an interesting... Uh, pastors, and I think there's a tie, and it ties back to this, because one of those, those groups of people that Israel had had a lot of trouble with, the Amalekites. And in the days of King Saul, there was a war with the Amalekites. And Saul, well, let's read, this is in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 20. Saul said unto Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the chief of the things which should have been, which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great a delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken to, than the fat of rams. And Samuel took uh, Samuel took a sword, and he killed uh, this Amalekite king himself. What Saul was supposed to do? That's just an interesting thing. But you know, over and I, if you ever, I don't know if anybody's ever noticed this. Maybe it's just me. Over in the book of Esther, which is a peculiar book in, in the biblical, it almost sometimes it almost seems glaringly out of place. But there's an interesting in chapter 3, and again, this is, we're talking about centuries and centuries after the episode with Saul and Samuel and Agag. Chapter 3, after these things did King Ahasuerus, uh, that is the king of Persia, promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. Now, that's an interesting, interesting phrase, because I can't find a nation anywhere in, in any ancient history that's called the nation of Agag, but that individual. And see, what I'm, what I'm driving at is, just like the thing with Jesus, and leading right down to today, these people, this is a, this is a generational hatred of God and God's people. It doesn't, it's not just, well, I, dis, I have a religious disagreement mm -hmm. with you. 
There's more to it than that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, even I, I use the example of the Islamic world. You know, even those people, we have a serious religious disagreement with them. But uh, there, there's certain ways in which, you know, we think we can put a line. We, we have to be prepared to defend ourselves, but that's yours, this is ours, don't cross the line. And, and beyond that, we can, we can deal with that. Um, there are people in this world that their, their hatred for Christians, Christianity, and for our people, it, it burns and the, and the fire does not go out century after century. It's not lessened. And I think that the Scripture definitely bears witness to that. And we, we have to ask ourselves, is this just a spiritualized thing or is this a very, very real issue that we, we need to think very hard about and come to a conclusion and what should we think about this? I, I think the, the biblical answer is clear and I hope, that, I hope that our little brief discussion might have helped other people to see something they hadn't seen before. <laughs> well, it looks like we could have used another hour. I believe we could have. <laughs> but, uh, but that's okay. Well, we want to thank each and every one of you for coming out this afternoon. We know it is a, a commitment on your part, and uh, we hope that our time spent here together was of some value. And God bless you guys. Thank you. Worship Christ.